And those who are watching this transformation will think that you have suddenly become magical. They will want to know what magic wand you have found. And you will say to them, I made peace with me. I stopped finding fault with me. I stopped finding fault with you. I stopped looking for reasons to feel bad and I started looking for reasons to feel good. I stopped making the worst of things and I started making the best of things. I stopped asking other people to be the reason for me feeling better and I decided that I could be the reason for me feeling better. And in that decision, I found ultimate freedom. And when you're free, you just gotta feel good. Welcome back to Devout. I'm Wendy Renee. I know it's been a while. I had to get through summer and take care of my kids. I moved across the state. So many big changes have happened in my life, but I am here with a weird, like, sterile white background because I haven't really set up my studio yet. But for the sake of this, getting this channel back up and running and getting your stories told, we are here. Today we're talking to Tyler, and when I tell you Tyler's story is so relatable, as all the stories are on this channel, I am not even joking. So let's get right into it. And if you are new here, we are so thankful that you are. If you're waking up from narcissistic abuse or from the community of Jehovah's Witnesses, we welcome you. I promise you, you're going to be okay. And because of you, so many other people are waking up and feeling seen and heard. I would like you all to meet Callie. She was here all last year, but she was a little camera shy. And now she will not leave my lap. So I said, Callie, if you don't leave my lap, you're going to have to be part of the channel. So many people have reached out to me about our show and they, and they look at you telling your story and they say, you know what? They're me. They understand. They get what I've been through. And that's why we're here. Tyler, it is such an honor to have you on our show. I know I had the privilege of being on yours a few months ago, but due to tech issues, it didn't work out. And so we're like, you know what? Let's do it again. Let's have you on here. And thank you so much for what you do in the activism community. I really love having activists on our show, not only to promote your channel and your show, but also to tell a little bit about your story because on your channel, sometimes you get, we get so focused on sharing the stories of others and helping people that sometimes our own stories can get buried in that. So I'm really drawn to what you've been through and now what you're doing. So take it away. Tell us a little bit of your background and um, how you got to be where you are right now. Uh, yeah. For, yeah. First of all, thank you. Uh, it's great to be here uh, to meet up with you again. Like I said, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. we didn't have anything to show from our, our first efforts. Um, That's fine. Here we are. Things happen. Um, mm -hmm. Hopefully we can do it again sometime, but we'll, uh, we'll go sure. from here with this and we'll <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll see what happens. Yeah. So I was, I was born into the religion, uh, 1982. Uh, my parents, uh, they converted in the early seventies. I believe, I believe they were baptized in 74. And my mother has, and she's told me that they thought the world was ending in 75. And so they got, yeah. that's why they joined. I was just um, going to say, what was that like for her? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So they, yeah, they came in because they thought 75 was it. And so I've got two uh, older siblings. I've got two older brothers, one who is eight years older than me. He is still uh, very much in the religion. I believe um, last I heard, I think he's a ministerial servant. Uh, he lives in Colorado. I don't have any contact with him. Um, not just because I'm out, but I haven't uh, for probably about the last five years that I was still in, uh, I haven't spoken with him. Uh, aside from very briefly, I haven't spoken to him since about 2014, September 2014, something like that. My middle older brother, uh, he is, he's been disfellowshipped for about 20, 25 years, something like that. He was living in Western Nebraska where we all were born and raised and lived. Uh, and then he moved to Minnesota in 2013. That's where I'm at now, my family. Uh, I moved here with my parents after high school in two th uh, 2001. But yeah, I was born in. I always I always had questions, issues, things never quite added up. And just, and like when my brother was disfellowshipped and like I could go out and do things around town with him or we could go out and eat. But like if we ran into other witnesses, all of a sudden, I could go talk to them and I could say hi, but my brother had to stay over here or we just, just weird little things like that. And things are just kind of off putting and like my friends at school, like were good people and they were, but I couldn't call them my friends. They had, they were my acquaintances and schoolmates. And so, yeah. but yeah, I, I always just kind of had these, 
I don't, little issues with things. I never, like, I never shunned people that were disfellowshipped. I always, uh, I wasn't like a great example of a witness. I was always the one that would just like ride up to that line of not doing anything that I could get disfellowshipped for, but mm-hmm. damn near anything else. Now, um, so you were bad association for me. <laughs> yeah. But not as far as the congregation knew. Like I was, oh, was good. Oh, okay. Right. Right. <laughs> like, there you go. Right. Honestly, as far as the congregation knew of like all of our friends group and everything, I was probably the one that was viewed as like the most responsible. And but right. oh, but little do they know. <laughs> yeah. You know, I would be jealous of my my friends in school and everything. You know, playing sports and you know doing you know going out on the weekends with their friends and doing shit like that. And sorry, I just swore. I don't know if, no, I don't know if you lost. Fine. All right. I have a no, sailor. I, mouth, I, so I, it's going to come I, out. I cuss like a sailor. On yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like to say I have the mouth of an exceptionally foul mouth sailor. Cause it just, <laughs> All right, we're making up for lost time here. Tyler. Yeah. <laughs> I Like I work with, I work and we will get there too, but like I yeah. work in mental health and I tell my clients like a lot of times I'm like, look, <laughs> I'm going to apologize right. right up front. I'm not your normal therapist. I'm going to say things, that, but and right. I was always jealous of those things. But, but oddly enough, I was able to do things like speech, uh, mock trial. Um, like I, I went to state competition for mock trial. Um, like we took a, a bus. We took a minivan from one of the parent, the other parents on the team mm-hmm. four hours away. We stayed in a hotel for the weekend. We, mm-hmm. it was so I was like, well, what the hell's the difference between that and driving 15 miles away on Friday night for a football game? But right. yeah, I just always had those little doubts and kind of lingering quibbles, I guess, with the religion and the beliefs. But I always thought that it had to be true. And I always thought it was something wrong with me. Like something's going to click. Something will make sense one of these days. And it just never did. And it never clicked. And it never clicked. I got baptized when I was 11. Um, I had... <clears throat> You know, it's not because like, oh God, I want to dedicate my life and I want to, but it was, I had other friends that were getting baptized two of my best friends in my congregation and another uh, really close family friend of ours. They were all getting baptized and you don't want to be the JW kid in your friend group. That's not baptized. Right. And plus I was a year younger than all of them. So it was like a gold star for me. Like you guys, I'm like, I'm extra spiritual now. Um, <laughs> right. But <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I was. I was two weeks shy of uh, 12 and I got baptized and all that time it never made sense. And then I got, I graduated high school, moved to Minnesota, met, met a girl as JW kids do young. Uh, we were both in our late teens, just out of, just finishing up high school. <clears throat> and we were married about a year later. We started dating in March, uh, 2002 and from the day we started dating to married eight months to the day oh my god we did the same thing we did the same <laughs> exact thing that seems to be a common occurrence though in especially in that religion if you're dating more than at least in our generation if you're dating more than six months those are red flags for the congregation you need to be married within the year it was very rare to see someone together more than a year and not be married right yeah, you're obviously up to something if you've been dating for longer than six months or a year, and you're right, right, yeah. And getting back that critical then, you eye. if you decided you didn't want to get married, you couldn't break an engagement back then. Like that meant you lose all your privileges, your mm-hmm. reputation. So you were stuck once you got engaged, especially. Yeah. So, so now you get married very young, and then what happens? So my now ex-wife, uh, her family was. A, a big prominent family in Southern Minnesota where we live. Uh, her father was the presiding overseer. And then the coordinator is uh, they're known now forever uh, up until uh, shortly before he passed away two years ago. We always kind of joked. And I have a friend that I, I also do a podcast with, like we said, you yeah, uh, came on their cousins, my ex-wife and my friend, Ethan, my co-host. And we've always joked that if there was like a JW mafia, her family would run Southern Minnesota Mm -hmm. because there's two congregations in that town. 
and probably 50% to 75% of them are all related, like her family, they all know, and all across the state. So, so yeah, she was very much, you know, into the religion, very deep into it. Um, she was pioneering when we first met, pioneered until we were married about two years, something like that. And I never quite fit in with her family. And again, because they were all super strict and devout witnesses and that was their thing. And, and I could never be a hundred percent about it. And it just didn't ever mesh. And they were farmers and I'd grown up in rural and agriculture my entire life, but like, I didn't grow up on a farm. I've worked on farms growing up, but like everything they wanted to talk about was farming and tractors and okay, great. And I can do that for five, 10 minutes. And then I'm so like, I never really fit in with her family. And she always gave me a lot of shit for that. And it wasn't for lack of trying. Like I loved her family. I still do. I think they're great people aside from the shunning side, but uh, yeah, like I just never could quite, you know, kind of mesh with that. And it became more difficult a couple years later. We had, we had kids, um, again, as young JW kids, like I said, I'm coming up, I'll be 40 here in two months. Um, my oldest is going to be 18 in April. My youngest is turned 15 in June. So yeah. like, yeah, we had kids, you know, fairly early. And <clears throat> when it came to needing to indoctrinate your kids and well, you need to study with your kids and you have to teach them. And so it was really nice when like, it, it was kind of the downfall, I think for the religion, when the governing body started doing everything basically video based and, you know, came out from behind the curtain and kind of the JW broadcasting era started, but it made it really easy for family worship because I'd be like, let's watch the broadcast this month. And right. <laughs> it's like, right. and all of a sudden I'm a good JW parent because right. I'm studying with my kids. And so my, like I said, my ex-wife and I, we decided we'll do like the broadcast once a month. We'll do like a Bible reading once a month. We'll do uh, another video once a month, <clears throat> especially when they were younger. And then we would do like one like watchtower or book study kind of study per month. Fortunately, was always kind of lucky to somehow miss that study one. <laughs> month. Right. So, um, but we did, you know, we did the videos all the time and we watched the videos with the girls and, you know, worked on indoctrinating them. But I was never, like, I never pushed it. I never really pushed them into anything. And as we got, or as they got older and people were like, well, you need, to study with them, you know, towards baptism, you need to start working on them, you know, like, okay, I couldn't teach my kids something that I didn't fully believe myself. If I, if I wasn't a hundred percent, you know, believing I wasn't going to be hypocritical and I wasn't going to teach them something that I couldn't back up. So I legitimately probably six years ago, five, six years ago, something like that is when I decided, okay, I've got to figure this out. I've got to make it click because I, I still wanted to believe that it was the truth, even so though I had, all, you were PEMO at this point. It sounds like I, I was or I, in not quite, the new, the I, new I, I wouldn't say, yeah, I wouldn't say I was quite mentally out. I was, I was mentally like maybe questioning, but like, I, I thought it was true. I still thought there was something wrong with me. And so I'm like, all right, I got to dive in, figure this shit out and make the truth my own so that I can teach it to my kids and, and fix myself, fix myself. <laughs> right. So now you're a parent, you're a husband and a dad and all these people are relying on you to get them into the new system because apparently the sins of the father are now the responsibility of the sins of the family. So yeah, continue. I thought there was something in the Bible that says they're not supposed to. I mean, actually. yeah, you would think. <laughs> Well, what do we know? There's also something upon like the third generation and the who knows. (laughs) It's almost like that book contradicts itself a lot, right? Interesting. (laughs) Um, But 
No, and that's kind of what I found in diving into this. I was like, all right, I have to make sure that this is, <clears throat> excuse me, that this is what I truly believe and that this mm-hmm. is what I can teach my kids. Mm-hmm. And so I like to think that I actually went into it with the intention of like, no, this is true and I'm going to prove it. Right. And I ended up proving the exact opposite. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, oh. like, it just kind of things started to unravel because I was like, you know what, I've I've hit all of the prescribed resources already. I've exhausted JW.org. I've read everything. Mm-hmm. I've got to get some secular opinions. I've got not apostate opinions, but just more secular opinions. And so I start so looking your into- research of the JW doctrine to, to try and be a better JW started your wake up process. Yeah. It's so yeah. interesting how that happens. Continue. Yeah. It's well, I mean, and now like in the back of my mind, I've even as you know, I've been able to process and and look back on things. There are certain events in my life that I can recognize, go, oh, yep, that had a, a deeper impact than I even knew it at the time. But I'm just realizing now as I work in the mental health field and have sought therapy and counseling myself for my own mental health issues you start to recognize a lot of those events that were uh, either traumatic or impactful in a good way uh, Mm -hmm. to your character, even if you didn't notice it for years to come. And yeah, there were things when I was 13 hanging out with my disfellowshipped brother that now looking back, I'm like, Oh, that's what, and I realized yeah, disfellowshipped non-witness people are not bad people. Um, And so and now I don't remember where we were at because that just got. <laughs> yeah, you were talking about how you were trying to do better. And yeah. so you were reading the literature and sure. then that ended up not being enough for you. That didn't. Yeah, it just didn't satisfy. satisfy. And one of the so I've always been kind of a natural scientist. I'm finishing up my master's in clinical mental health counseling here in a couple of months. But yeah, I've always kind of been like the natural scientist and I've always wanted to like understand how things work. And so mm-hmm. I've only gone into the mental health field in the last two, two years. My associate's degree and my bachelor's degree are both in computer science. Like I've always been a, like I've done, I, I have a degree in web development and computer science building iOS apps for iPhone and iPad. Like that's what my bachelor's degree is in. So a departure from what I've done previously, but like, I always want to understand things and I like numbers and I like math. And so even trying to figure out their whole 1914 and 607 and 2,520 years and seven times and all of this shit and Daniel that I was like, and so I remember an article in 2010, 2011 where they backed up their claim that Jerusalem was destroyed by Babylon and uh, by the Babylonians in two or 2000 in 607 BCE. Right. And again, always wanting to believe that what I had been taught was the truth and that this is correct and right. Uh, I had always just assumed that that was right. But then when I start looking into a lot of these resources and references and things, realizing that a lot of them are taken out of context and One of the things that threw me is at the beginning of that article, it's a two-part article series. And it was like, I think it's called When Was Ancient Jerusalem Destroyed? Part one and two. But right at the beginning, there's a spot that like a little asterisk that says, none of the experts quoted in this agree with our something along, agree with our claim that this happened in 607. So I'm like... Well, why the hell are you quoting all of these experts to support your claim for 607 and then saying, yeah, but they disagree. So you're literally saying you're cherry picking what they're saying and just. So that kind of threw me. I was like, hold on. And so I had to never heard of this before. Yeah, it's 2010 or 2011, October and November uh, Watchtower. It's when was ancient Jerusalem destroyed parts one and two. Yeah. And they take so many quotes out of context from there. And then you start, I started looking a little bit more and then I was like, Oh, Jerusalem wasn't destroyed in 607. It was destroyed in 587, 20 years later. Mm -hmm. And then I started looking into that and even just using 
1965 Watchtower and volume one of the Insight book, you can show exactly how the math adds up to 587. Like they literally, you add up the years that they talk about for those kings and it adds up to 587, but they still claim 607, like a paragraph later. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> like you just laid out all the math and then there's like a mystery 20 years added. Mm-hmm. So, but little things like that, just once that one hit and I was like, okay, something, something doesn't smell right. And so then I started looking into other things and yeah, it just kind of snowballed from there. And then I, um, from looking up things about, um, 607, 587, you know, I ended up on YouTube finding, uh, different, I, I did see like apostate videos in like my YouTube search results. And I was like, Nope, I'm going to scroll past that. Oh, this looks like it's one from like a, a university. This looks okay. So I'll click on that and I'd try to do stuff like that. And then when I'd see all of these results from, you know, reputable sources saying, Nope, 587. And then I would see all of these apostate sources saying 587. I'm like, well, so it seems like they might be right about that. And so I'd click on it and then it just kind of snowballed from there. And that I would say kind of deconversion process at that point. Uh, That was uh, 2018. And I would say May or June of 2018 is when I kind of started like looking into things a little bit more. August 15th is the day that I just, just pop went, Oh shit, I'm in a cult. Like it's just how it happens, right? It's never, it's never one incident. It's a, it's a bunch of incidences that lead you to that one moment. And everyone that I speak with remembers that one moment of, Oh my gosh, it's not the truth. That's Mm -hmm. what it was for me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember exactly where I was at, but I was driving somewhere. I live in the Twin Cities uh, in Minnesota, Mm -hmm. and I was driving somewhere in, I think, St. Paul. And I was talking with a friend of mine on the phone, just in a lot of the things that I had read and heard and kind of, and was still kind of questioning, but I was, I was starting to realize, I I don't think this is true. I don't think this is right. Um, but I was talking with him and I was sitting at a, at a red light and he said, and I don't even remember what it is that he said, but we were talking and I was sitting at that red light and it just, it clicked and I went, Oh shit. (laughs) But I, I remember I had been, (laughs) yeah, I had been watching an interview with um, Amber Scora who Mm -hmm. uh, her book, leaving the witness is fantastic. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend that. I link that all the time. That was one of the first apostate, not like you, non-scholarly books I had read. And I was so touched by her story. Yeah. Continue. I think, yeah, I think that, I think hers was the second that I read. And the first was on, so again, I mean, yeah, August 15th, I remember is the date. Uh, So August 14th, 15th, 16th, 2018, I was on a business trip. Um, I lived in Southern Minnesota at the time with my, like I said, now ex-wife and kids. And I had a business trip. I knew I was going to be working in the twin cities with a vendor for three days, doing a tech job, learning database, and all of this stuff. And I had recently reconnected with, uh, my ex's cousin, uh, my now podcast co-host and best friend Mm -hmm. and had reconnected with him and he had uh, he had a copy of the book, The Reluctant Apostate. And, and I knew that he had it. And I was sitting there and I, and I was like, and I think I want to, I, I, I'm going to check out, I think, some of their videos on YouTube while I'm on this, uh, you know, vacation business trip for a couple of days. And I have, you know, time to myself. And he actually did something. And if anybody's watching this and you are, you know, working or talking with someone who is questioning or leaning towards the door, but not out. He did one of the nicest things that I remember as I was kind of making my way towards the exit. He was like, yeah, absolutely. He's like, he's like, you can borrow it. You can like, you can read this. He's like, but I'm only going to let you borrow it. If you're 
like comfortable with knowing things about your religion because you're going, you can't unlearn things. And once you start reading this, you're not going to turn back. Mm-hmm. And your That's life's going to be. Of conscience did for me. Right. And, and that was the second book that I borrowed from him was crisis mm-hmm. of conscience. But I, <laughs> so I took, but I took the reluctant apostate and I was like, Oh shit. Okay. Well, I took the book from him and I left and I went on this business trip for a couple of days. Like it was only like two and a half hours away. Um, but I, I started looking through the book and then watching videos on YouTube, uh, that Monday night. And it just like just rabbit hole and just, and I kept watching videos and kept and kept and kept reading. And it was just all of a sudden it's like 3am and I'm like, shit, I've got to be <laughs> like, everybody be describes a- that rabbit hole the same exact way. Like it's yeah. four o'clock in the morning and your bloodshot eyes. You're like, yeah, I got to take care of my kids, but I can't stop watching these. Videos. <laughs> right. For me, it's like, I got to be at the office in three, in like three hours and everyone's going to think I'm hung over. And I'm like, I swear to God, I'm not, but I, and just know that if you're watching this at three in the morning, Tyler and I have been there where you are right now. We are 100% cheers. on your side. We get it. You will come out on the other side of this. Okay. We promise. <laughs> yeah. You'll be all right. Yeah. Yeah. But it was, I remember I went, that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I left on Monday. I started looking at some of these things. And again, I had been leaning towards the exit. And then it was the next afternoon. Uh, we actually let out early from uh, the vendor that we were working at in this training. And so I had a little bit of extra time and I was driving back to where I was staying. Coincidentally, my ex-wife's parents place, they were out of town for the weekend or for the week. And so I had just like YouTube, like playing in the background through my stereo. In, or my uh, radio in my car and I had that Amber Scora interview playing and that was it as I was driving home and one of the other videos that was uh, on that channel at about the same time is uh, why child indoctrination is so dangerous and because I had gone into this trying to prove things right for my kids and now I'm like oh uh-oh like that really, it just like, it clicked. And it was that after that Tuesday afternoon, I was like, mm-hmm, I'm in a cult. So that was kind of my, I guess, awakening moment. And yeah, that was, I wouldn't divulge any of that to my now ex for about three, four, about almost four months after that. So then, yeah, I was completely PIMO then. Like, I was like, nope, like never going back, never again uh, from August 2018. And then I was supposed to have a, a judicial committee because I had been, but I was supposed to meet with some elders because uh, I had been found with uh, marijuana on my, in my possession. And you can't do that when you're a witness. And I now knew that this was all. bullshit and i'm like i don't believe this and these guys have no authority to tell me anything what i can and can't do with my life right so but i kind of still viewed them as like my friends because i've known them forever and so i'm like i'm back and forth like okay is this when i make my exit now and i say no i'm done i don't believe this or do i play the game do i or yeah do i get disfellowshipped and then just never come back or so Ultimately, I decided I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to go to this judicial committee. And I was like, nope. I came home from work that night and I had to hurry up. We lived right across the street from the Kingdom Hall, basically. It was right there. Um, you could stand in the corner of my yard and the corner of the, the parking lot and throw a football back and forth. Like it was that close. Um, and so, I knew I had to get home from work, hurry up, change clothes, get to my judicial committee meeting. And I debated the entire way home if I was going to do it or not, if I was going to, you know, play ball or if I was going to say, nope, I'm out and got home and walked upstairs. My ex-wife, she's sitting on the couch watching TV. She's on her phone and she's like, hi. And she had, we hadn't spoken a whole lot since 
uh, about a week and a half prior from the incident that I was supposed to go talk to the elders about. That's a whole other story. And she mm-hmm. had a lot of like silent treatment kind of is how she handled a lot of things like that. And so um, I got home from work. I went upstairs and should have came downstairs five minutes later in a suit and tie. And I came downstairs in my pajamas, like sweat, like sweatpants and a t-shirt. And sir, are you she's like, don't you have a meeting? And I said, nah, I'm not going. Wow. <laughs> and she, and she got this confused look, obviously on her face, like what? And so I was like, yeah, uh, I'm not going. She's like, what do you mean? And I was like, give me a second. And I had to leave, like, cause that was one of the most nerve wracking moments of my life. And I'm sitting there and I'm just like losing my shit. And I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, give me a second. It's like, I had to go to the bathroom to like gather myself for a second and then go back and like continue and be like, yeah, I don't believe this anymore. I don't think this is the truth. And, and, right. and it just, just went from there. And it was not well received. <laughs> Naturally. Right. It happens. Um, but yeah, it was things with her took a, a turn south immediately. So I'm so sorry. Yeah. You know, you you share the situation that a lot of people in our audiences share where you raise your kids in a religion, you wake up from that religion, and now you're being shunned by the children who you taught that religion to. What is that like for you? And if there are parents in our audience who are experiencing this, it's hard. It's for me, I can't relate because my kids were very little and I'm, I've been able to pull them out. And my ex-husband, um, he's on my side with many of the things, uh, with this organization, thankfully, um, even though he still identifies as a witness, what are some things you can say or speak to the souls of these parents who are really struggling being shunned by their own kids? Yeah, that is, that's probably the hardest thing that you're going to deal with, uh, when you leave, if you're a parent and I did, I had that conversation with somebody a while back and I see, you know, it's one of those things where it sucks and it is, it's just shitty, Mm -hmm. but then you go kind of like you said, they're doing what I taught them to do. Like, apparently they learned, apparently I taught them something well. But <laughs> I mean, so, you can look at it like that. Right. <laughs> but no, it's it is it's very difficult. And I, you know, after shortly after that time when I uh you know kind of told my ex-wife that I wasn't leaving, about a year later we separated. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I didn't uh shortly after we separated, uh both my kids blocked me. I didn't I didn't have any contact with either of my kids for um almost a year and a half. So I finally, yeah, I finally got to see them again. End of July. Uh, yeah. So I saw my kids end of July for the first time. Uh, my oldest, I hadn't seen since January the previous year. My youngest, I hadn't seen since May, I believe April or May the previous year and had been blocked by both of them since about July the previous year. Uh, my oldest, she got baptized um, that July um, 2021, so last year. Um, you know, like was blocked from that, obviously didn't have any contact. Um, and then, yeah, lots of issues with my ex-wife and our separation and divorce and all of that business. I guess if I had to give somebody some advice going through that, I would say take it very slowly. Um, and one thing that I think I, that I think I messed up in is where, when I told my ex-wife, I don't believe this anymore. I don't think this is the truth. And these are my reasons X, Y, Z. Um, and then when she turned and said, well, I still believe this, I'm still going to raise our children in this. And I don't want you uh, in her words, I don't want you poisoning their minds with your apostate thinking. Certainly. And so what I would 
suggest is I think I was too respectful of that request. And because it's not a fair request to, to tell someone you can't talk to your own children about what you think and believe. And especially if it's something that, you know, you've, you've done your due diligence and you don't believe this. Exactly. And if you, you can identify the harmful sides of this, you have a responsibility and, and I get it. If it's difficult to do, you know, you've got that partner, that ex spouse, that spouse who is kind of trying to block you from being able to talk with these kids. And you don't want to burst the bubble. Like you don't want to tell them Santa Claus doesn't exist anymore. You know, really, you're really trying to keep their innocence. I, I think one of the most devastating teachings in the organization. And I remember this, my father was never a witness, but I was the child of a man who was a non-believer. So you're further indoctrinated as a child that you're basically an orphan. And so as a dad, as a man, what that must feel like is like, you know, that there are other men in that congregation who are assuming the role of fatherhood when you're literally standing right there. I was just speaking recently with another father in the exact same situation. And, um, what do you, what are some things that you can do? I, I know my father wanted to do everything with the exception of going into the kingdom hall and causing a big ruckus. I told my ex, I will, I'll be supportive if this is mm-hmm. what they want to do. Like mm-hmm. I'll, you know, I'll be there. And I even told her, I was like, I'll be there if they want to get baptized, if they want to, you know, wow. if they want to have their first talks, if they want to do like, I'll, I'll be there to support them. Even if I don't agree with what they're doing, they're my kids and I love and I'll support them. Whatever That's the hell parenting anyway, you know, <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> like, right. It's kind of our jobs to raise right. them to be their own people. Exactly. If we're raising them to be clones of ourselves, we're mm-hmm. doing it wrong. And so we want to raise intelligent, critical thinking human beings that are able to figure things out for themselves. And I told her, I said, if that's what they come to decide, it's fine. I love them and I'll support them. No problem. Mm -hmm. But to have that, you know, pushed aside then. And yeah, I've, I, so when I wasn't, uh, when we separated now, yep, they did. They assigned very quickly people to study with my kids and It's like, all right, yep, your dad doesn't believe anymore. We've got to do something to save you. And so, you know, both of my kids were being studied with by other people. That explains, but that <laughs> explains why you're saying tell them how you feel and don't hold back. Don't stand by the wishes of the other spouse to just not bring it up because they want to keep them indoctrinated. I'm glad you said that. And for other parents in the audience who are really trying to find that fine line of do I fight for it or do I just let it happen? Because once they're, and I've heard other parents say, well, I just, we're, they're just not going to get baptized. They're still indoctrinated to think that you are a bad parent. They're still indoctrinated to think that you are a danger. And gradually that's, what's, that's what the attitude that they're going to adopt. So I'm really sorry you're going through that. And thank you for being so honest about it for the other parents in the audience. And one thing, and again, and I, I know that I made the mistake because I've apologized to my kids for it since leaving is be very careful of the way you phrase things and the way you say things, because I'll give my own example. Um, I interviewed, so I now live with my, so I live with a couple of roommates, one of my best friends. uh, And I interviewed him on our channel and he told his story and we talked his younger sister and my youngest daughter are best friends. They've been best friends their entire lives. And in him and I talking and him and I have been close friends for a long time. He's one of the spiritual orphans that <laughs> that right. some of the right. older men in the congregation took under their wing. Right. And as like he grew up, I'm like, oh, this is actually like a cool guy to ha- like he's fun to hang out with. Like he's a good guy. And now like I live with him and his fiance. Um, but in talking with him and talking about the experience of my daughter and his younger sister, I said something along the lines of, well, it, I can only hope that they, how I, put, I can only hope that they corrupt each other and that they see the light and that they get out of that. And my, so my youngest, they watched that interview. Um, 
my youngest daughter and his sister. And they actually watched it at my mom's place in her living room. Um, But, and then, but they took it to mean, and, and I tried to explain from my perspective, you, you know, corrupting each other kind of means waking each other up to the fact that you're in a cult, not corrupting you to be a bad person. Right. And so, so yeah, being mindful, even of just little things like that and how you phrase things that um, be aware Anything that you post online, even if there's a good chance it's going to get back to people that you know, including your kids. Mm-hmm. So kind of being a little judicious with what you do that way. It's a great point. You know, it's like that with divorce too. There's four in my family and 25% of the story is mine. The rest is his and the kids. And I just think that sometimes in the era of social media, you're absolutely right. You have to be careful about the things you say. So I'm really glad that you said yeah. that. I'd like to segue, um, if we can, to what inspires you to suddenly, you know, shift gears with careers and get in with <laughs> mental health. And now you're pulling people out and helping a lot of people through activism. So what does this look like for you? And how did this all happen? Like I said, things went, things did went very south with my ex-wife very quickly. Through that and things just uh getting really shitty in life. Honestly, I ended up seeking therapy a few months later. And so, which again, if you are, if you're, if you're questioning the things that you've been taught and this just kind of a a brief message to the people that are listening, watching, if you've, if you're kind of trying to figure out what you've been taught your entire life or however long you've been part of uh, religion is true or any group for that matter, do the critical thinking, dig in, Figure it out for yourself, but also it's not a bad thing to seek professional help. Find a therapist, find a counselor, find someone. And a lot of people don't know 99% of the time, first session is free. So you got nothing to lose. They'll probably see if at least for a consultation session for free. In my case, I saw a therapist for one session and went, oh, I guess this is what I'm going to do with my life now. I guess I'm going to change careers. Uh, after my first session of therapy, I started looking up grad school programs and said, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to switch to help other people that are going through similar circumstances and similar experiences so that they don't have to struggle. Because one thing that I've, um, in now both, uh, seeing therapists myself and in working with and now uh, getting the opportunity to train other therapists, most therapists, they don't know shit about cults at all. Like yeah. nothing. They don't understand. They, they, know, they know the <laughs> symptomology. They know the anxiety. They know the various yeah. issues that come from it, but they can't relate it back to cult thinking. Yeah. Right? They can understand a lot of the, the effect and they can yeah. understand a lot of the, like you said, the symptoms and everything, but they don't understand the full pathology and everything that comes from cult indoctrination and abuse. And so mm-hmm. I've had a couple of therapists where you do, it takes you a couple of sessions just explaining yourself and your past before they get it and they can actually exactly. relate. And yeah. I was like, I don't want other, you know, people that are leaving this situation to have to deal with that. Like I would rather them be able to, go, oh, you get it. You understand. You've been there. I was fortunate enough to, and I think you and I actually saw the same therapist at one point. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Ryan Lee. <laughs> Ryan. We lo- um, I love him. So, you know, he's great. Yeah, great guy. Having I have been that. in therapy a long time before meeting Ryan for very, like postpartum depression and mm-hmm. other issues, which I know now were related to trauma and being in high control religion. But I had met Ryan knowing that leaving a cult requires a specific type of counseling. So that's why I talk about it so much for, for people to see someone who who understands that I'm glad you're saying this. Yeah. And it is. I, so it was kind of funny. I had just a quick story about the last Mm -hmm. therapist I was seeing, and I haven't been, I haven't seen a therapist now for a couple of months because insurance issues and this and that and all the other, right. The other things that play into that. But I was seeing a therapist a couple of months ago and he, he didn't understand the, you know, the XJW, the cult mindset. And so 
in a couple of sessions with him, we were talking and I don't know if you're familiar with the allegory of Plato's cave. And so essentially it's, you know, imagine that you've been born and raised in a cave, you're in type. So darkness, you can't see anything, but everything that you need to survive food, clothes, you know, clothing, shelter, everything is in that cave and everything's provided for you. One day you're stumbling around, around the cave and you find a door and you go, what the hell is this? And there's light and you step out and you're like, what the? and there's an entire world outside this cave and there's trees and there's flowers and there's animals and there's birds. And you're like, what the hell? And you go back into the cave and it's dark and you find your people and you're explaining this to them and they think you're nuts because well, that doesn't exist. It's not real. And so he talked about, he kind of used that illustration. And he said, with you, he said, if you're leaving a cult situation like that, it's kind of like you step out of a cave and yeah, it's beautiful, but you're also stepping into a shitstorm. You're like, yeah, that's pretty accurate with all of the, the trauma and abuse and everything that comes with it. Being able to navigate that, it definitely takes it takes some help and support, whether you can reach out to someone professionally uh, or finding a support network is is huge. But again, even in now, like I said, working in the mental health field and we have to do like you have to do continuing education. And so we've got training sessions every month with uh, like our entire team at work. And I was actually fortunate enough back in uh, back in March to lead a continuing education session and presented a uh, gave a presentation on working with victims of cult and religious trauma. And so was able to kind of shed some light and give some insight to these other you know professionals who I work with and are are great. Uh, I work with an amazing team of like diverse mental health professionals, one of which is actually an XJW. And so it was very cool connecting with them and, and meeting them. And now at the end of that presentation in March, this coworker, the one who is an XJW, they said, you know, they, they were, we were taking questions and their question is, can we get part two? <laughs> so I said, wow. sure, let's do it. And so, uh, I was fortunate enough la- last Thursday, it's so like nine days ago, I think now uh, this being recorded. Uh, myself and that coworker who asked for part two, we gave uh, an updated presentation of working with victims of cult and religious trauma part two. And we spent an afternoon training these other professionals how to work with victims of cult and religious trauma and the different, you know, the demographics that they'll be working with, uh, whether you're dealing with ones coming out of indoctrination who have been told that higher education is a terrible thing their entire lives and they shouldn't do that. And as a result, they're dealing with, you know, being either un- undereducated or underpaid or whatever. And all of the different ways that that can impact someone's lives going forward. So yeah, it's been, it's been great being able to get therapy, but also to, you know, help train others to ultimately work with this, you know, very niche demographic better. So Man, we are so grateful to have <laughs> you on our side. And in our last conversation, the one that was on yours, we talked about what someone can do if they're not in the circumstance to go to school, but they do want to be able to be on the side of helping others go through trauma. And you mentioned that there's a course, you mentioned there's uh, ways around that uh, just to be able to be there for someone. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I think um, I think briefly I talked with you about certified peer support specialist uh, might have yes. been the program that I was yes, speaking about. That. Yeah, and yep. yeah, it 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 really is. It's a great program, and so um, the the company that I work for they off, um, they offer it to a lot of clients as as a companion service, and so like you have to be receiving either. Uh, and right now, while I'm doing uh, finishing up a lot of my schooling. I do primarily like rehabilitative mental health service work. And so it's therapy sometimes without being therapy. Sometimes it's therapy in the forms of doing like the practical day-to-day things. Mm-hmm. I've got clients that I work with reading skills, with math skills, with wow. f- filling out paperwork and like just helping them right. do random. And then empowering. 
Yeah. yeah, right. Enabling them to get their independence back. And so it's that rehabilitative side, right. getting them back to wherever they were prior to onset of mental illness, uh, mm-hmm. mental health disorders, or uh, could even be medical issues, the uh, mm-hmm. accidents or trauma that have caused, you know, mm-hmm. lack or not lack, uh, a decrease in mental health function. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, we work with clients of that. And one of the programs that we offer is a, a certified, certified peer support. And the, the worker is a certified peer support specialist, a CPSS. Essentially what that program does is it works with clients uh, and the practitioners have their own experience dealing with some form of mental illness or trauma or addiction issues or things like that. And so it's a peer support where you can relate with what that client is going through. And you can kind of through sharing your story and your experience with them, you can kind of build a bond in that therapeutic relationship. And then you can offer a lot of the same supports, whether it's not necessarily always going to be therapy, but it would be a, a mental health support in more practical. I love yeah. that you're talking about this. And then we, and then we talked about, um, there's this, there's only so far <laughs> YouTube and podcasts can go, you know, my ultimate goal, my ultimate dream is to be in the nonprofit sector. Um, in fact, I've already have things in motion with starting that because I currently already work for a nonprofit with a mental health facility. And I thought what we need as an XJW community is such a niche type of support. I mean, we have people, we have teenagers that are getting kicked out of homes by their PME parents. And, you know, they're, they're, they're open to this world. They're thrown out into the very world they're taught to be terrified of. Like we need actual facilities and actual buildings. We need money. We need people who actually care more about the people than they do the algorithm. And that is something I'm glad to have you on because I know we share this. Um, So where are you in that? And um, if there's any plans in motion and ideas that you possibly have for something like this? Uh, One thing that I, and I even reached out for initially as part of uh, some of my schooling and helping with assignments as almost hypotheticals, but then I was like, well, no, why the hell would you keep this hypothetical? Like, this is what you actually want to do. So like, start, start putting together the resources to, Mm -hmm. to actually help people. And so, uh, one thing that I did was, um, I submitted a paper recently with, um, it was titled reducing suicidality in victims of cult trauma in the Minneapolis, St. Paul area. And so trying to work, uh, I do actually on Facebook run and we've been pretty inactive for several months. It really sucks in it. I feel a lot of disappointment in myself for that. And I'm like, damn it. Like this is something that I want to do more, but there just hasn't been the space for it. And so it's well, you're coming in the around middle of finishing your degree, man. It's, it's <laughs> like, it, you have it in motion at least, you yeah. know? And well, and I feel bad because we have, like, we actually had yeah. like several meetups. Like we were doing meetups once a month for a while. And then we haven't for some time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I am looking to, and I even purchased a domain name and kind of started gathering some people that are interested in helping out to really just advocate for other XJWs and to kind of give them a voice where they don't have one. And again, kind of related to a lot of the things that I do in my work and the, uh, people that I work with that do the certified peer support work, um, working in a lot of those practical ways, because Mm -hmm. especially as you're leaving, uh, as you're leaving a cult, if you're you're leaving the Jehovah's witnesses, a lot of times you're doing so under duress (laughs) to to put it nicely. And people can use help with things like housing, finding insurance, finding public support, finding assistance, just and I just things. just one year ago it was the first time, and I know this doesn't speak for all women in the organization, but women that I've spoken with, you know, this is the first time I actually had my own bank account, paying my own bills, what credit card to buy. I have, I mean, in the last year, I built my credit score up, and it's just from wanting to do better and learn about personal finance. But I could not have done that if I didn't reach out and be mentored by somebody who's like, I've been there, I got this. And so I think that would be also something yeah. we can really do for other people. Um, and it's not that like, look at us, we're here. It's like, no, I'm right alongside you. I'm just a little further ahead than you. The other thing that I do on my website and my therapist 
I was seeing two therapists in tandem, not after I stopped seeing Ryan, I saw this woman because I needed a mother figure and I saw that in myself, whatever. So she had this really great idea to be a, um, you know, like a collaborator with mental health professionals in my local area. Something like that can also happen if you're watching this and you're looking for ways to help in effort to help the victims, you can actually go to mental health facilities and say, Hey, listen, I just want to let you know, this is what's going on in our community. You know, we have other activists who want to reach out to their politicians and their congressmen. I, I'm the type who's like, listen, I'm local. This is what's going on. So maybe something like that, Tyler, maybe that can even be a form of outreach. What do you think of that? Yeah, absolutely. And it's nice. I, so it's kind of cool working with, um, uh, you know, finding a coworker who is also an XJW that we, sure. We met just through, and that was kind of a story in itself. And I'll, I guess I can give the real short version of that. So we were, I was just starting with this company and I was taking on new clients and I went with this, uh, this other worker, uh, I went with them to a client for a transfer session. They were switching this client to me. I was going to take over. And so she was doing paperwork while I was working with, I was just talking with the client, just getting to know them a little bit. The client was very religious. And so, and I, I'm not religious anymore myself after having left. Um, I consider myself an atheist, uh, very non-religious, but I find religion fascinating. I think it's very interesting. I love like, I love understanding what people think and believe and what makes them tick. And so like, I just asked him and I said, you know, cause I, I see, you know, I think you identify as a Christian, right? Yeah. So we kind of talked and I see, you know, tell me a little bit about your, you know, tell me a bit about you. And, and my coworker popped up and said, Oh yeah, there's this, you have this picture of Jesus over on the wall over here. And he said, yeah. And she's like, that's a, that's a Mormon rendering of Jesus. Right. And he's like, yep. Yep. And I said, Oh, okay. So you're a Mormon. And he's like, yep. And my coworker, they said like, yeah, I can relate to that. I was raised as a Jehovah's witness. And I went, See? Uh. what <laughs> and so it's mm. so she's and i said you were uh uh so was i and mm. immediately she what and so back at, and she's like mm-hmm. we have a lot to talk about mm-hmm. and so we finished we finished our session with that client we were leaving and she's like you want to go get lunch I said, yep. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, yeah so, so we went and sat down we got lunch and long story short um I actually knew her previous to dating my (laughs) ex-wife. So I actually met my ex-wife at an assembly in September, 2001. Mm -hmm. And I was introduced by a mutual friend and she was not interested. She wasn't having it. And she like, Oh yeah. Hi, nice to meet you. And walked away. So I was like, I mean, I'm at an assembly and I'm 19. I'm still like, (laughs) I'm like, uh, Hey, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) So I met another person and we went and we hung out and we got to know each other a little bit over the next couple of months and whatnot. Come to find out in spending time with this other person that their best friend who we'd spend time at their place, they always had a bunch of other JW kids like hanging out and playing in the basement and stuff. This now coworker of mine, this is her friend's niece. And mm-hmm. like, I found like, oh. I was like, yeah, and I was always hanging out over at their place, and there were these kids, and there was this little girl who was about five. Oh shit! <laughs> and she's like, yeah, that's me. I was like, oh my god! I'm like, yeah, like I've known her since she was like, known her since she was like five. But then when that connection, I was like, like wait, so like your aunt? I'm not gonna say her name on here. And she's like, right. yep. I was like, <laughs> and this girl that I was seeing, she's like, yep. I was like. And like, I know her mom, I know her entire family. Like I, like I know wow. her, her whole congregation. Like we've known the same people for, even though coincidentally we lived like two hours, like a hundred miles apart. Right. So like I, we had close friends in her congregation mm-hmm. who coincidentally were in the delivery room when both of our children were born. So like the Holy spirit directed it, Tyler. <laughs> right. so it's a, like small world. Um, so now here we are and you have your own podcast and your own channel. Tell us where people can find you. And uh, if you are open to members of our audiences, reaching out to you for extra support. Yeah, by all means. Yeah. Please feel free to reach out. I mean, you can find me on, uh, I'm on Facebook. 
Instagram, Twitter. We also have our podcast is on Facebook. Finding Paradise is the name of it. We're on YouTube as well. Search for Finding Paradise Podcast. You can find us on Facebook and there's a link tree to everything. Yeah, I am looking to uh, put together some more resources for uh, supporting other XJWs. So uh, if you are looking for support or if you are looking to give support, either way, please uh, reach out, find me on whatever platforms uh, you see fit. Thank you so much. And we'll put all of your information in the description box. If you want to reach out to Tyler, please do so. And we look forward to you being a licensed practitioner in the future to help all of us who are going through this, Tyler. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And we'll catch up with you another time. Awesome. Thank you, Wendy. I appreciate it so much. Thank you so much for watching. And if you want to reach out to Tyler, remember all his stuff is in the, all. I was going to say contribution box. No, all of his stuff is in the subscription box uh, uh, under this video. And be sure to follow his Facebook page and be sure to go and like and share and follow his podcast as well, because they do really great work over there. Thank you so much for watching and we'll see you next time. Thank you.